Virginia, living out in Virginia right now. He's been to Romania for several years. I'll let you explain all that. <clears throat> and some of you might, might know his uh, relatives here, James and Bettina Hudson. This is uh, dad and grandpa. But we uh, appreciate you coming, and, and we're just looking forward to hearing the word. All right? Amen. And thanking you for the conference and hospitality that we've already heard about. <clears throat> Brother Howard Katz was talking about gathering up the crumbs. So I guess my wife and I and Joash are crumbs left over from the conference. And, uh, and we're glad to be here <laughs> in whatever capacity. It's just wonderful to be able to speak to you in the name of the Lord. Uh, we did serve, we did live in Romania for 12 and a half years. We came back at the beginning of 2005, and I've been going back once or twice a year ever since. And as you know, Brother Dale was with us over there in Romania in May, whenever it was, <clears throat> and he was a great blessing, the church there, that the Lord used us to raise up, and I'm planning on going right back again. I'm planning on leaving, Lord willing, July, uh, August the 22nd, and stay perhaps more than a month to just reinforce what the, pa the pastor there is doing and encourage the people. So... Pray for my wife and I as the Lord brings us to your mind that uh, we'll hear the Holy Spirit and obey Him. That's my great pleasure, great purpose in life is to hear the Holy Spirit and do what He says. And my immediate purpose today is to encourage you in, in the wonderful gifting and calling that's in your life and purpose in your lives. For each one of you... Each one of us is very important to our Father. If we've made Jesus Christ our Savior, which I trust everybody has, then God is our Father. His Father is our Father. And we've been adopted into the royal family. We're called to be uh, kings with God. There's no queens in heaven. So the sisters are also called to be kings, too, <laughs> with God. <clears throat> you know, when we think about that, we think about the fact that Jesus was born directly by the Holy Spirit and Mary, and we have been adopted. And so he has a special place and always will have and deserves our, our worship and our praise. He's our, our great king. He's the king of kings. And Lord of Lords. But that means there are other kings. If, he, if he's the king of kings, then there has to be other kings, right? And so he, he deserves the special place, and always we honor him, honor Christ. And whatever we do or think, we think of how wonderful our Lord is. Darren, I'd like to give special thanks to Dale and Teresa for being our hosts during the conference. They were very gracious to us, very kind. It's always, gets, it's always good to get to know people better. Even though you know people, it's good to get to know them better. And we really enjoyed our stay in your home and your kindnesses to us. We're kind of distracted here because of, of uh, our attention to James and his family. And thankful to be able to visit them. 
I was thinking about Moses this morning. Moses was not an Egyptian, but he was adopted into the royal family. Actually, when Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses as her son, then he became in direct line, potentially, to be a Pharaoh in Egypt. You ever thought about that? I never thought about that until this morning. I was This came to my mind. Moses was uh, potentially a Pharaoh. And he was trained in all the way of the Egyptians and so forth. And he knew all about all their customs and their laws and everything about them. But he had regard for his captive brethren, the slaves of Egypt, the Jews. And he uh, couldn't get away from the fact that even though he was in the royal family by adoption, he was still a Jew and he had concern for them. And that kind of strikes me as being a very realistic uh, attitude for us. We're in the royal family by adoption, but we should have concern for those who are not been set free yet and have liberty yet in Christ our Lord. And uh, I really appreciated our brother speaking about soul winning uh, Thursday evening and his uh, brother Stan, his good way of bringing it out. God wants us to be concerned about those who don't have Christ. But we need to remember that we ourselves have been brought into a wonderful place in God. And I don't think we really understand who we are. We do perhaps intellectually, but I don't think we really do in our, our spirit man, fully grasp, or maybe our soul, fully grasp who we are in Christ. We actually are a supernatural people. We have been literally changed by our salvation, our adoption, our entrance into the family of God. We've, we've really been changed because Christ lives in us. And that means that we have basically his DNA. You, you guys are selling a book out here in the foyer for $10, which I think is a good price. The Supernatural Ways of Royalty by Chris Vallotton and two chapters by Bill Johnson, which I, I recommend. We bought it. When we were first here in the conference, and I've already read it this week because I have time to read. Perhaps most of you are still working. We're kind of retired in some sense. Anyway, it's a very good book, and it helps us understand our, our position of royalty that we are in because of God's great love and His mercy. When Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, He taught us our Father and about... I think it was sometime this year that struck me really, really hard one day as I was reading that in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father means that He's our brother, right? He's included in the hour. And we're included in the hour. Our Father. That's just so startling to me. That's, and He actually brings this out in the book too, so towards one of the last chapters. But thankfully I didn't get it from Him this time. I got it by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> a lot that I have, I just receive from others. And I don't even know where it all comes from. But basically, it came from God. If it's correct, if it's truth, it came from God. And <clears throat> it came via the Holy Spirit. So that's what's important. I can't always remember who to give credit to for what I've learned or what the Lord has spoken to me. But He's a very faithful God. And some of the things I'm going to say today 
I'm going to give some testimonies. Uh, the title of the word today is The Power of the Spoken Word. But it could also be called The Power of the Testimony, which basically is what Howard was talking about when he's talking about gathering up the pieces. It's a word the Lord has been giving me this year for different places I've been speaking, and he keeps adding to it and changing it. It's an exciting word for me, and I trust it will be life-changing for you. The precious body of Jesus Christ. The precious members of the family of God. I trust that this word will be life-changing for you. If you already have this word in your spirit and in your soul and you understand it, you've been walking in it, then maybe it will just deepen your understanding of it and strengthen you in your resolve to walk as Jesus walked. The Bible says that Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. That's a startling thought when you realize that God is still speaking. It's still proceeding. It's in the future perfect, I believe, in the Greek. It's God is God is not finished. The Bible is absolutely His Word, and every word that we believe we've received today has to agree with the Word of God. I know that, and I love that, and I love the written Word. Uh, just to give you a testimony, uh, I try to read the Bible through every year, and the last number of years I've been successful by the grace of God. The first thing I do in the morning is read the Word. My wife can tell you, and and. I want you to know that I'm basing my belief and system and so forth on the Word of God, not just on something I've heard recently. But God is speaking, and He's bringing fresh understanding of His Word in these days. We're told this very plainly in the book of Daniel, as Daniel's winding up his revelation, I think in chapter 12, verse 4. He's told that uh, he's going to have to go his way and, and the word's going to be sealed until the end. And then in verse 9, he's told that, it's, that know, let's see if we can find that and just read it directly. Uh, try to get it straight from the, from the word. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 9. And he said, Go your way, Daniel. I believe this is an angel speaking. For the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Well, I've known that scripture. You know, I've read that scripture and thought about it, you know, off and on for many, many years. But all of a sudden, it just dawned on me what are the times we live in? What would you say the times are we live in? End times. Everybody says it. We're in the end times. Okay, so if we're in the end times, that means we're in the time he's talking about here in verse 9. That the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end, which means that God is opening up new understandings of his holy word. He's helping prophets and teachers and different ones understand truths that have been hidden or vend a book that are coming fresh and alive in these days. That's exciting. To me, that's very exciting. 
One time many years ago, uh, when my father was terminally ill with cancer, I don't even know how many years ago, my, perhaps my wife can remember, but about 38 years ago, I think, I was on an ele- elevator in the hospital where he was, and the terminal patients were up on the 14th floor of this hospital. And it was a large elevator that held quite a number of people. And we, you know, a bunch of us got together and got on the elevator at the, at the bottom. And we started up, and the doors would keep opening, stopping and opening, and people would get off. And finally, after a number of floors, I was the only one left in the elevator because I was going up to the 14th floor. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said this, The Christian life is like this elevator. Different ones get off on different levels. But, you know, the secret to it all is just stay in the elevator and keep going. Keep hungry. Keep crying out to God for more, more of the Holy Spirit, more understanding of His Word, more understanding of His ways, and, and receiving by His grace more and more understanding of what He wants in our own lives. Just stay in the elevator and go to the top. Amen? That's not too hard to do, is it? Just stay hungry, ask Ask the Holy Spirit to keep us stirred up and and hungry and fresh for what God's doing now. It's wonderful what God has done in the past. And we're going to look at some things that God has done in the past. But what is God speaking now? What is His heart now in particular for your life? What does God want from you now? He's our Father. And He wants to give us a full reward through Jesus Christ. Through the merit of Jesus Christ and His finished work, our Father wants to give us a full reward. One time a pastor whom I admired very greatly, a man of God who walked in the Spirit and walked in many gifts of the Spirit, he died at an untimely age of 46. A tragic accident in Mexico that he he drowned in Mexico. And I was crying out to God and just grieving in my heart because he was the man I was submitted to in the spirit, in the flesh, whatever. I was submitted to him. And now he was gone. I was already a pastor in another church, but he still was my pastor in my heart. I was crying out to God, why was he taken so young, 46 years old? And the Lord answered me. And I don't like to say I I believe that the Lord spoke to me or something, I'd like to say the Lord answered me because I heard him very distinctly in my spirit, in my inner ear, not audibly. He said, I took Tom home to give him a full reward. That's all he said. He didn't explain anything else to me. I didn't need anything else explained to me. But with that thought, with that answer, I had understanding Whatever full purpose God had for his life was finished, even at the age of 46 years old. Amen? And he was taken. It was a drowning accident, but perhaps it was more involved than that. God knows. And so there comes a time when God is finished with our lives, but until then we should be growing and hungry and and wanting more fresh understanding. And so uh, Jesus 
said that we should, we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word which God is speaking. So, God has created us in the new creation to be heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, to receive an inheritance that Christ has received. He wants to give us a full reward in heaven. And He can only do that as we press into the kingdom, as we desire more and more of Him, more understanding and a deeper walk with Him and obedience to Him. He speaks to us, but He wants us to obey. And there's a very important thing here involved in all of this as we're going to be talking about the power of our words is that our words can have power. I won't just give my exact note here. He, uh, he's given us the ability to create with our words when we are speaking from our spirit with faith. We can't just say, well, I want something and we're going to just blab it and grab it or whatever. It doesn't work that way. It has to be led by the Holy Spirit to receive from God or to see things change. It has to be, I believe, God breathed into us, into our spirit man, of what the will of God is in this situation. And then we speak as we're led by the Spirit, I believe, and then God commissions angels or whatever to fulfill what He's given us to do. And He can do it for any of us, and He will do it for any of us. And so I'm going to give some testimonies here from my own life and from the Word and so forth. In Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and so forth. You know, everything God wanted to see, He spoke into existence. Why did He have to speak it? I mean, He's God. If it's His thought and His intent, can it just happen? Well, I don't know, but He did speak it. And He wants us to learn how to speak as we're led by the Spirit. He wants us to learn how to imitate what He did. I'll give you an example from the Word. In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, when they're at the, out in the boat and the boat's about to sink and they're all terrified, you know, most fishermen can't swim, perhaps. A lot of them can't. And I'm talking about ones that make a living fishing, especially in the kind of waters they go in. They were terrified, and maybe even a good swimmer would have drowned in this mess. And they cried out to him for help. He rose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. He spoke that out like, Lazarus, come forth. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. In verse 40, he rebuked them. I mean, he rebuked them soundly. He called them, you know, cowards, basically. And why did he rebuke them? I think it's because he was giving them the ability to do what he was doing. He, he was expecting them to get up and do something about it. But they had to wake him up and get him to do it, which I would have done too. I understand that. We all probably would have done the same thing. But he's trying to get a principle across here, I think, because it's recorded in the Word of God, that they got rebuked for their lack of faith or also their lack of 
action. I mean, even, even Peter, with all of his faith and all of his jumping into things, he didn't even get out there and try to walk on the water on another occasion until he asked the Lord to tell him to come. I think that's a pretty good idea to get a kind of a witness that you're supposed to do something extraordinary before you try to jump into it. And the Lord told him to come, and he jumped off, jumped over the side of the boat, took off walking to Jesus, just like Jesus was walking. What an extraordinary thing. What an amazing Can you just picture that? Can you picture you doing that? Can you picture the waves rocking and rolling and the wind blowing? And there's Jesus standing on the water, and you're walking to him, you know, trying to get to him with these waves rolling underneath your feet. And he got to him. But then he... He began to think about how deep the water was and that he couldn't swim. And he lost his courage, cried out, and the Lord helped him. He walked him back to the boat. Now think about this. Don't laugh at Peter for getting scared. Feel sorry for all the other disciples who never got out of the boat. He was the one that got to walk hand in hand with Jesus on the water, even though Jesus had to help him. Jesus did help him, didn't he? And sometimes he wants us to kind of get out of the boat and to walk on the water, so to speak. But be sure you're hearing the Lord tell you to. And so the principle I was going to tell you a few minutes ago is that we need to be under authority. We ourselves need to have our hearts, our souls, our actions, our words under authority. It doesn't mean we have to agree with the authority, the human authority, in everything that they believe or are doing. Of course, obviously, if they're doing really wrong, we should get out and find somebody else to be the authority. But, I mean, it doesn't mean we have to be slaves to their mentality, but we should have respect in our hearts for those whom God has put over us and be under authority ourselves. If we want God to use our words, if we want Him to back up our words, if we want Him to send angels to fulfill our word, then we ourselves need to be under authority. And Chris does bring that out very well in this book. Uh, I like it. Because it's true. There are some people out there just doing all kinds of things and saying all kinds of things. And you know what? There's not any results because they're not under authority. And God doesn't respect what they're saying or trying to do, even though they may be moving in a lot of faith or whatever. And a lot of, it just doesn't mount anything. God's kingdom works from the top down. And he'll, he'll honor us and what we're speaking as it's led by the Holy Spirit if we're under authority first. And so he wants us to be able to start walking in the authority he's giving us. And there's a lot in the Word about this. I think now I want to go and look at uh, whatever his name was in Judges chapter 6. Gideon. I knew I'd think of it after a while. Uh, I want to look at what happened to Gideon. That's in the Old Testament, right? Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you've got a Savior?
it fell open to the right place on the other one. It didn't do it this time. So, Judges chapter 6. This is very interesting to me. As I was meditating on the Word and looking at this, I began to get some understanding about all of this thing about Gideon. We're starting with verse 11, Gideon, Judges 6. So the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree and so forth. And Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, we know these stories, but do we understand some of the principles going on behind here? Because they didn't want the Midianites to take away the wheat. They were oppressing the land. They were bothering the people. I mean, they were just terrible. And so the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, you mighty sister of valor. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You see, God sees things in us we don't see. You understand that? He sees His created purpose for us. He's calling out the greatness in us that He's put there. To His purpose, He's calling it out. It's not just an Old Testament story. This is about you and I. Well, he never thought of himself that way. He never once thought of himself that way. But he did do some thinking. He had been doing some thinking. And so he cried out, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? See, he had been collecting the fragments. He'd been collecting the scraps. He'd been thinking about the testimony. He'd been thinking about the miracles that the fathers had experienced. And he was realizing that, hey, I'm one of these people that God has called to, to be blessed, Jewish person, but he's blessed all of us now in Christ. I'm one of these people. We're these people. How come we're not receiving these blessings like our fathers did? You see, this is what had been going on in his mind, apparently, because that's the first thing he said to the angel. Okay, if God's with us, where are the miracles? Have you ever thought that way before? Okay, they happen in Africa, they happen in India, they happen in China. Where are they in America? Well, they're happening in America, too, and there are going to be more. Which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Well, obviously, he had been doing some thinking, meditating upon the miracles of the past. Because that's the first thing that popped out of his mouth. And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. What might? The might of the fact that you have been remembering the testimony. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10. That's a very important scripture. There's other scriptures that agree with that. Totally. But we only need one word, don't we? When we start remembering the testimonies, that's the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? What God has done before, He can do again. That's what it means. And what He's done before, He probably will do again. It's like when you remember in the testimony... It's like you're remembering the power of God. You're remembering God was with them. He can be with me. He is with us. It's a wonderful scripture. It's a wonderful thought. And apparently this principle is what was going on here 
between the angel and Gideon. Oh, you mighty man of God. I'm not, I'm not, my family's the weakest one around, and I'm the weakest in my family, and, and so forth. But he was thinking about the miracles. Where are all these mighty miracles? Well, this is the reason you're going to be used because you've been thinking about the testimony of God. And God's been searching all across the land. This is how I see it. God's been searching all across the land for somebody who's been thinking about the testimonies of God, the miracles of God, who has a heart for God, wants to see God move. (laughs) I don't know why, but I just feel drawn to this couple here. I don't know them. I saw them here in the conference. I feel they have a hunger for God, the supernatural, and that God's going to use them, even though they perhaps don't see it very much. Now, I could be up a tree. I could be way off wrong. That's what I've been feeling. And so now I popped it out. So, hallelujah, let's go on with this. God wants to use us. Here this year, back before we went to Europe, Eastern Europe, I was in Bulgaria, I think, two weeks before Dale got to Romania, and then I was with him in Romania, and I stayed a while. And so back before all of that, I think it was before all of that. Yeah, it had to be. I was watching the news on all these tornadoes that broke out in the spring. And they were breaking out all over the place like they have the last several years. And on national news, I saw, or we saw, a lady come out of her house. It may have been in Tennessee or somewhere. She came out of her house, an older lady. Looked like she might be a grandmother. And this tornado was coming through the valley right towards her house. I mean, a real tornado. A really big, powerful, destructive tornado. And she's yelling at the thing. It's on national news. How that didn't get edited, I don't know. And it went right up over her house. She stayed outdoors, and she was still pointing at it when it went over her house. Yeah, I saw it. Hallelujah. Glory. And then it came back down again after it got over her house. And more people lost property. So, that's pretty good proof that somebody believes God. (laughs) And somebody got mad enough about it to do something about it. (laughs) She's thinking, you're not going to tear up my house just just because you, whatever. That's, that's what God's looking for, isn't it? Doesn't mercy triumph over judgment? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, so we're under judgment. I understand that. Judgment's been coming. But let's don't glory in judgment. Let's cry out for mercy. Let's speak mercy. Let's cry out to the God of mercy, and He'll hear us. In fact, I'm sure that some of the things that haven't happened yet have been held back because of people crying for mercy. Well, let me try to get back in this message here. So, uh, I want to tell about Ray speaking in a city in Romania, which I can't think of the name of this morning for some reason. Anyway, I was with him in this crusade and in this town in Romania. I think... 
I don't know who was with us. I don't know if James was with us then. I don't even know if Dare was with us then. But I know I was there. I remember that much. I don't have the best memory, obviously. I'm not the sharpest tack in the box. Anyway, uh, in, this, in this crusade, it was about 1,800 people. And this was maybe the third or fourth day of the crusade. It, they usually lasted five or six days. And it was about 1,800 people. It was the afternoon. These meetings started in the afternoon. They, they would say night, but summertime, long days. And he's up preaching. He's just preaching away his message. And all of a sudden, in the, in the middle of his message, he yelled out real loud over the sound system, you know, Come out, come out, you spirit of deafness, in the name of Jesus. And then he kept right on preaching. Well, they, he didn't usually do that. I mean, he would pray for the sick and pray for miracles, but he didn't usually break into his message and do that. But he did this occasion. And so when uh, came time for testimonies, this little gypsy lady, a lot of the gypsies in Romania are smaller people, she came up to the front with two young men, 17 years old, but they also were smaller than we would think. Two 17-year-old young men who had been born deaf as twins. Both of them, twins, were totally deaf. All four ears were plugged up. And when Ray yelled that out, they all four opened up right in the message. And they, they were embarrassed, you know, these, these, uh, these boys were embarrassed. They were shy, and they were hearing for the first time, and it was all very new and scary. But she was up there excited, telling about her boys, and she had them with her. And everybody knew them. I mean, in this town, they were well-known, so there was no way around being true. Just like that, a word of faith spoken forth. See, in the gifts of the Spirit, it's the word of faith it's prophecy, tongues, interpretation, gift of miracles, gift of healings. They all work by speaking. Did you ever think about that? I mean, you can't just write it down, and I'd like to see this happen, you're thinking, and you write it down. It happens when it's spoken. The power of the spoken word. And our words count. We have, there is power in our words. If our lives line up, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect because nobody's perfect and God knows I'm not. But except in Christ and His righteousness, that's perfect. But if, if our lives line up and if our hearts are right before God and we're under authority and we realize how much our Father loves us, this is what's so important, is to realize the Father's great love for us. It gives us a sense of confidence that we're members in particular, that, that we're important to God. That gives you a sense of confidence. He knows me. He loves me. He's with me. He hears me when I speak. And so you become so obsessed and filled with the glory of God and the joy of Jesus and the wonders of His love through the Father and through the Son that you lose your self-confidence. Consciousness. You need to get out of your self-consciousness. You need to be in, in consciousness of Him. And not stop and think about who your father was or who your family was. Either be great or be small. That doesn't really have a 
anything to do with it. We've been brought into the family of God. Our older brother, so to speak, is Jesus Christ, the living Son of God. And we're part of his body on the earth. That's what we need to be conscious of. And then do whatever the Holy Spirit does, gives us to do. So don't stop and think, well, I'm not Ray Jennings. Well, of course you're not Ray Jennings. You're you. I'm not Ray Jennings either. I'm me. But who you are is important to God. Don't stop and think, well, they've got something that I don't have. You know, they got Bible school or they got this or they got that. Well, as a matter of fact, they don't necessarily have all of that. <laughs> and if they do, it doesn't make any difference. And so one time in Romania, when uh, James and I and Dan Jennings were together with our families, and we're staying in the city of Alba Iulia, uh, we knew that there was a flood in the river. In fact, our church there in Alba Iulia is basically named because of the river that flows through that area. We named it River of Life. And so there was a flood in the river, and it was upstream from us, and it was coming downstream, and it had already uh, gotten to this, the town of Ayud, where we lived for two and a half years, my wife and I lived before we moved to Albiulia. This was in December, just before Christmas, and there had been a lot of snow that year early in the mountains. And for some reason, it had warmed up, and there was a lot of rain falling. And the warm rain, relatively speaking, was melting the snow, and the whole thing flooded. I mean, it was a real rip-roaring flood. It was no small deal. So Dan and James and I went to see what was going on with the flood. We went upstream back to Ayud to look at the flood. And we went to this little hamlet called Bufa, which was maybe 50 families, I don't even know, not very many, of gypsies, total gypsies. And gypsies live on different levels of economic whatever, strata or whatever, and there's different families of them. It's not as simple, you know, as you might think, it's just gypsies out there. Well, these particular gypsies were on the bottom level. They were on the lowest terrace. <laughs> they were very poor. And my wife and I had spent over a year trying to raise up a group among them and had failed because we could not find a leader in Bufa when we lived in Ayud. We'd visited in their homes and prayed for them and all kinds of things. But anyway, we went just to see what was going on. And we'd get there, and the, the river was coffee-colored, you know, if you got cream in it all the way across a huge, huge expanse of water. And it had been, uh, how do you say this word, Cimarron Creek or River or whatever? Huh? Cimarron. It was about that size before it flooded. And now it was flooding, and it was really something else. Well, Bufa was built on what's called the first terrace level. Geologically speaking, is above the floodplains, but it's up here on the first terrace. And the river was lapping at the edge of Bufa. The whole valley was full of water. The flood, the floodplain was full. And when we got there, the city actually had some old dump trucks there, and they were loading up whatever furniture these people had, which wasn't much. No, none of us would want any of it. Period. But that was the best they had. 
And they were trying to help them load up and get their stuff out of Bufa because the flood was going to come up another meter, which is 40 inches more. The prediction was it was going to come up another meter. And now one more foot would put it in Bufa. This was a pretty level area. And these people were frantic, you know, trying to get their stuff out before the flood hit. Their little houses would have crumbled, you know, with the water. And it just was a mess. We didn't go there because of all of that. We wanted to see what was going on. Well, we felt compassion for them. These very, very ignorant, poor people. Most of them made a living by stealing, probably. They were desperate. And you know what? God loves poor people. He loves people who are hurting and desperate. Did you know that? Of course you do. He cares about them. And I felt the great compassion for them because my wife and I had spent over a year trying to work with these people. And so I said to Dan and to James, let's pray against the water. And they jumped right in there. Let's do it. So we went right down there to the edge of this where the water was, just one foot above the water, right where the drop-off was. And we stood there and we put our hands out there and pointed at that river and we talked to the river. We told the river it could not come into Bufa. We actually spoke that. Now, we didn't stop to think, we can't do this, we're not Ray Jennings or we're not whatever. We just did it because we felt compassion. See, there's the, there's the key to feel compassion, to feel love. And we spoke to that river. And the people saw us. City people saw us with the dump trucks. There's two or three dump trucks. And some of the villagers saw us. We weren't doing it to be seen, but they did see us. Well, we went back to Alba, and that evening, James and Bettina went back to Ayud to visit a couple there that they knew. And when they went back in, they went through water on the international highway. Water was coming up on the highway some. And this was downstream from Bufa. And they went and visited for several hours. And when they left to come back to Alba, they couldn't get back up there. The water was... James was almost up to his windows of his van. He couldn't. The water was deep over the highway. Nothing was going. Trucks were stopped. Everything was stopped. And so the water did come up. And we have witnesses that it came up. And so we went back next week to Bufa, and the water had never come into Bufa. There was an old gypsy lady there named Pepe. And I talked to her through a translator, and she said, I, I'm, she said, I'm the only one that stayed in the village that night. She said, I walked around my house crying and praying all night. And she said, and the water never came. Amazing. She was afraid somebody might steal something out of her house. She didn't have anything, but she was afraid they might steal something, so she stayed to protect it. Now, the water did come up at least three feet upriver, and it did come up at least three feet downriver, but it didn't come up in Bufa. Now, that's all I can tell you. We, you know, praise God. Thank you, Lord. And for a long while, it was hard for me to believe it. You know, it just, wow, that actually happened? <laughs> you get into spirit, and you get out of your rational mind, and you do things. And then later you start thinking about it. That's the dangerous part. Don't think about it. Just do it. So, to a large extent, we create our own environment with our words. 
you know, we can run around and say, I mean, I, I realize that we can carry the thing of a positive confession too far, but there is a lot of truth to that, that we can begin to confess in our own hearts and to ourselves that God is healing us or, or that God is going to meet our needs or whatever, or the relationship that we messed up is going to be healed. You know, we, we can begin to confess reality as we want to see it, and it happens. In, in, the, in the epistle of James, he, he talks about the tongue causing evil. I think it's in James chapter 3. He speaks, he speaks a lot about how a little match can set a big fire and a little rudder can move a ship and it's wrong for blessing and cursing to come out of the same spring. And he goes into a real strong uh, teaching about the tongue. And most of it, what he says, which is all true, and he was a pastor and he was concerned about pastoral type things, most of it is about the negative effect of the tongue. And in fact... We need to hear about the negative effect of the tongue. We need to be very careful when we hear something that we don't repeat it. You know, Facebook can be a wonderful blessing, but it can also be a great curse. We need to be very careful. Just an example. I'm not picking on it because my wife loves it, and I like to hear what she's got to tell me. Uh, I'm computer ignorant, but she's not. Anyway, uh, we need to be careful what we repeat, and we need to be careful what we believe. And not speak evil of one another, because it can have negative effect on other people's lives and on ours. But look at the other side of the tongue. James says it can be blessing or cursing out of the same spring. Just look at the blessing side. We can speak blessing into other people's lives. They don't have to know it. You just speak it. I remember when we lived in Alba. For a long time, I don't even know how long, but I think several years, I was going out at night walking through our part of the city that we lived in, about a 45-minute walk, a kind of a long, circulous walk, and I was speaking blessing over the city several nights a week, nights when I wasn't busy doing something else, and times when I'd be tired or weary or whatever, my wife would remind me. She'd say, aren't you going to go speak blessing tonight? So not only did I have the Holy Spirit, but I had my wife. <laughs> and I would bless anything and everything I could think of. Every religious group, I'd speak blessing to them. The old people, the young people, the schools, the hospitals, the government, every government agency. I would speak blessing over them. Just bless them. And walk all the way around there, not very fast, speaking blessing. And I did it for several years. What do you think happened? I think some good things happened. For one thing, we got a very good mayor. And in, in Romania, as long as you're a good mayor, you can be reelected, as long as the people want to reelect you. And I think he was mayor for 12 years. In fact, he's just now going out of office. And uh, hopefully the new mayor will be a good one also. The city won an award for being the cleanest city in Romania. And everybody talked about how good the roads were in Alba Iulia. And they were a whole lot better than Bucharest, I can tell you that, which is the capital. Now, I don't know that it all had effect from me speaking blessing, but me speaking blessing didn't hurt anything, that's for sure. 
And there seemed to be a determination with the Holy Spirit and my wife and me that this should continue to be done. Well, maybe God might want you to start speaking blessing on some situation. Amen? We have power in our tongue. God has granted power to us in our tongue. I'm enjoying this. I hope you are. Jesus said, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And then he said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Okay. So we believe that. We know that Jesus spoke words of spirit, spirit, words of life. We know that. But then he said something else. He said, the works that I do, you shall do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I'm going to the Father. And I'm leaving you behind to keep the job going. He didn't say it exactly like that. That's what the idea was. I've got a commission, and I'm giving you my commission. You know, it actually goes all the way back to the garden. And Chris also brings that out in his book. In the very beginning, God told Adam and Eve to bless the creation. He's given them dominion over what? The garden? No, the earth. Think about that. Here's two people somewhere in a wonderful place, and they've got dominion over the whole deal. The whole earth. How's that going to take effect? Well, if they walk in the covenant, they walk in the blessing, they raise their children in the blessing, their children raised in the blessing, and they keep on, it would expand, and it would cover the whole earth. It's very simple. And it's never been changed. That edict is still out there. And it will be fulfilled, perhaps in the millennium, but it will be fulfilled that there will be peace over the whole earth. And guess who's going to bring it? God's children are going to bring it. I don't know where you guys stand on overcomers and such as that. And I don't want to create any confusion. But to the church of Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said, to the overcomers, I'm giving the power to rule with the rod of iron. Even as I receive from my Father, back in Psalm 2, He's going to rule with a rod of iron. Well, Jesus gives that to His overcomers, He said. And so, that's something to think about, isn't it? There's a whole lot more to all of that. And I'm working on it. The Holy Spirit, I hope, will open up more to me. But... Uh, there's truth there, obviously, because it's the Word of God and has to be fulfilled. When uh, we had the conference Thursday evening, it was a, a lady came to the conference that had been in our church in Hampton many years ago, Della. Well, sometimes she goes by Dell and sometimes by Della, but either one will work. She came with her cousin, I think his name was Harvey, to the conference here. And she had just recently moved to Oklahoma from Virginia. And she was living with her daughter and son-in-law. Tiffany's the girl and Dustin is the son-in-law. And they have been a fairly new marriage. And Tiffany's expecting to have a baby very soon. And they had left our area also. And moved to Oklahoma. And I was asking her how they were doing. Because they had been part of our church. 
even though I'm not the pastor, sometimes I do speak, and I did speak about some of these things there in Hampton that Dustin had heard. The power of proclamation, the power of a declaration. I don't know what there is any difference between a proclamation and a declaration, but sometimes people use one word, some the other. How you can speak things into existence when it's being led by the Spirit and moving in faith. Well, Dustin grabbed a hold of that, and I didn't even know it. I had no idea he'd grabbed a hold of it. And so when they moved to Oklahoma, they rented a real small house. They only had two bedrooms. I don't know. They lived somewhere 80 miles from here. Some, I don't even know where. Anyway, they, they rented a small house, and then she's pregnant, and now her mother's going to come live with them, and, and uh, the house is too small, and they'd signed a lease. But he began to proclaim every day. Della said every day Dustin would make the same proclamation that they were going to get out of the lease and going to get a bigger house. And he, he kept it up. He pursued it. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, Dustin's not very spiritual, but he's got faith, apparently, because Tiffany was able to break the lease and they were able to rent a larger house without any deposit. And it's all working out. Now, they're making deposit. You know, they're building on the deposit every month or whatever. There will be a deposit when they get finished with it. But it all happened. And Dustin is very happy because his words have been fulfilled. It's exciting to me. A young Christian grabbed on to this reality of the power of the spoken word and began to move in it, and has already gotten results. Now, what do you don't think that's going to do to his faith? He should be getting established in faith, right? I think so. When I had been to Waco just a, a little while back, I think in the early 60s, I think around, I think around 64, I'd been to Waco just a little while, and I'd just been recently spirit-filled, and I'd been a Baptist, and and you know, was taught all this stuff as hogwash or not real for today. Uh, I love the Baptists. They're good, great soul winners, but they've got some things mixed up in their theology. And uh, I don't even know how I got a hold of it. Maybe I heard somebody preach on it in Waco. I don't even know how. But somehow I got a hold of some of this. And it was a group of us down in Mexico. And I mean, I had only been in, in, involved with the church there in Waco a short while. But I was on a missions trip was somebody who wasn't even part of the Waco Fellowship. And we were down in Mexico. And it was a Sunday morning, and we'd been to a little church there in a very hot, dry area of Mexico. And they have these dust devils, they call them. Um, I don't know the Spanish word, but I used to know the Spanish word. And they, they just swirl around, and they kind of move real slowly up the valley. And they're a real mess. I mean... You get in one of them. I've never been in one of them, but if you get in one of them, you've got a real problem. It's going to drive dust in your eyes and sand and trash and in your car and whatever you got. How many of you have ever seen a dust devil? See there, you know what I'm talking about. Well, we came out of the church, and I think it was about three of us brothers. And anyway, they're all talking outside, and here comes a dust devil. And I'm looking at that thing. I'm thinking, that thing is coming right here. And everybody's out here just talking, ignoring it. I mean, it's almost as if they could not see it. 
And not only was it going to fill the trash with open, the church with windows open with trash, but it was going to, it was going to trash us. It was coming right for us. And I got stirred up about it. I don't know why. I just did. And I walked out towards it. It was coming slowly, but it was really moving. The wind was moving. It made a, quite a noise. I walked out towards it, and I spoke against it in the name of Jesus. I don't know if I did it correctly or whatever the formula is supposed to be, but I did it. Whatever I did worked. The thing just went <clears throat> flopped. I thought, well, that's pretty neat, you know. That was simple enough. I turn around and start back to the car, and I hear it. It came right back up again. I looked, and it's right back up again, full force. And this time I got really angry. And this time I began to feel like I was talking to a personality. And so, again, I was away from the others, and the others never even saw it. They didn't see anything happen, and we never talked about it later. In fact, I didn't talk about it until years. This may be the first time I've ever told about it. I've had a real battle with pride, and I didn't want to do anything that would lift me up, prideful, and so forth. But this is for your edification, not mine. This time I got angry, and I spoke to it again, and I spoke to it forcefully. And it did not stop, but it, it hesitated. And then it began to make a wide circle around where we were. And it did. It went all the way around like a traffic circle. Went all the way around beyond us and came back in line with where it had been headed to start with and continued on up the valley. I just looked at it. I just thought, this is amazing. That thing listened to me. It didn't die, but it got around us. And then not only that, nobody ever saw it. That was another thing that was amazing. How could they not see this thing? It was making a lot of noise, and it was dirty, and it was going to be a big mess if it got to us. Nobody saw it. Nobody knew anything. Nobody said anything. And I didn't say anything. But believe me, when we get to the courts of heaven, you will see that it did happen. And now the interesting thing is, if God leads you, you can do it too. When we were in the, uh, the prophecy meeting, Brother Stanley prophesied over Joel that he saw cyclones coming to India. And he said that he was supposed to rise up and defeat them in the name of Jesus. Did anybody else hear that prophecy? I was sitting there and I'm just listening to this. I'm thinking, well... If Joel can do it, we can do it. Because God's the one who does it. I don't know how that's going to affect you and your family in the days to come. But just understand something. You don't have to be, have been in the way 30, 40, 50 years. We need to get out of the way and let God loose, right? We can do these things. You can do whatever God calls you to do. Whatever His, His decree is in your life. And you can find it out by asking. So, a few years back, a brother named Ron Phillips, a pastor, I think in Alabama, I don't know how many years back, but this happened, uh, was holding 
a revival meeting somewhere in the mountains of Alabama. And a snowstorm came in early in the afternoon on Sunday. And so they either dismissed the Sunday afternoon meeting or made it end early or something so he could get back down the mountain back to his home. And they offered to help him down the mountain, but this is in his book, which I don't remember the name of. Um, and he didn't want to admit he needed help. He was not the best driver, but he was letting them know he could take care of the problem, he said. And he starts down the mountain, and this thing hit pretty hard, and his car is sliding, slipping towards a precipice. And he's losing control of it. And he got really frightened, and he called out to Jesus, asked him for help. And he says, the Lord told him, I've sent my angel. He's with you. Tell him what you want. Maybe that doesn't agree with our theology, but that's what he said the Lord told him. And he realized that there was a presence in the other seat in the front. He couldn't see an angel, but he realized something was there. And so he called out real quick, his angel help me. Well, that's pretty simple. He said, and the presence immediately moved to his right front fender. The car came under control, came back into the road, and he went on down safely. He gets to the bottom. There's a state police officer there closing off the road, not letting anybody go up there because it was too dangerous. And he was very surprised they came off the mountain, him and the angel. And he said, how did you get down here? And he said, well, God help me. I mean, what's he going to say? There's an angel with me and he's helping me. I mean, he might get locked up in a cuckoo place or something. So he just said, God help me. And so the officer said, well, you fellows be careful, right? The police officer saw the angel with him. He didn't see the angel, but the police officer did see the angel. (laughs) Well, you've got an angel that watches over your life. I believe that every baby has an angel, and I see nowhere in the Word that indicates that that angel quits as long as we're living. We know children have them, but Jesus said so. So I believe you have an angel over your life. I believe we have an angel over our lives, they and I. Now, I don't pray to angels. I'm not into angelology or whatever you want to call it. I'm into Jesusology. But I respect the ministry of angels, and I respect what they can do for us if we're in trouble or just if we're happy. It's like they're the Air Force and we're the ground troops. They've got the same mission that we've got, to bring peace to the earth, and they're with us. Unseen, but nevertheless, they're with us. I make decrees often. I make decrees about getting on airplanes, getting transferred from one airplane to another. We came back from Mexico in February. Whatever city it was I was in, I was in a hopeless line. It went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I was counting how long it took to make one turn. It was taking 10 minutes. And I didn't have very long to catch the plane. And I calculated the rate I was going. I was going to be about an hour overdue. And I'm praying for all I'm worth. And I saw a lady doing something over there, and I went and asked her, was there any way she could help me to get on the airplane? And she said, do you have anything besides carry-on luggage? I said, nope, all I've got says carry-on. She says, go right through here. 
I don't even know how that worked, but she sent me, and I got on the plane. It's good to be able to know that we can make decrees as well. We can speak things, whatever is necessary for us and our children, our purpose on the earth. We need to uh, gather up the fragments. I think it's a good idea for you to begin writing your testimonies. It says in Israel that the Jewish people were to teach these things that Moses gave them to their children and then to their children's children and to keep them passing on down the line. And when they wouldn't pass them down the line is when they would fall away from God and have to be punished by whoever. Let's, let's keep our testimonies. Let's write some things down. Go back and remember what God's done for you. Remember prophecies that come over you. Write things down and remember them. Go back over them sometime to gather up the fragments, to remember the testimony. The testimony is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus, what he has done in your life, is the spirit of prophecy. God bless you.